Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature Celeste Rapone, known for her narrative paintings that blur the boundaries between figuration and abstraction. At the core of her practice are formless concerns such as surface, pattern, and color that shape the artist's inventive figures and scenes. She received her BFA from RISD and her MFA from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, where she is an adjunct professor in painting and drawing. Celeste's work has been exhibited widely across the U.S. and abroad at Josh Lilly Gallery in London, Marianne Boski Gallery in New York, Corbett v. Dempsey in Chicago, Roberts Projects in L.A., Julius Caesar Chicago, the Hyde Park Art Center Chicago, Georgia Museum of Art, and the Institute of Contemporary Art Boston. She was the 2018 recipient of a Pollock Krasner Foundation grant. Celeste's most recent solo exhibition, House Sounds, is currently on view at Josh Lilly Gallery in London, and her work will be included in the Bemis Center's upcoming exhibition, Presence in the Pause, Interiority and Its Radical Eminence, opening May 20th, 23. Celeste lives and works in Chicago and is represented by Corbett v. Dempsey, the Marianne Bosky Gallery in New York, and Josh Lilly Gallery in London. Enjoy this episode featuring Celeste Rippon. Celeste, when did you discover your desire or your want to be an artist? So I, I grew up in uh, northern New Jersey, and I always loved to draw uh, as a kid. and. I also, you know, loved putting together, my mom would lay out very organized outfits for me and I would always sort of destroy them and mix and match them. And so I think I always sort of had a specific way of uh, wanting to express myself. And then I got more serious about my interests in high school. And that's when I decided I wanted to go to art school. And I was really lucky to have parents who were totally supportive of me wanting to go to art school, even though they knew nothing about that space. My mother was a nurse. My father was a lawyer. But I think they always sort of trusted that I would just figure it out. And so I went to RISD. And I I think I would say around that time, my mom especially really was amazing and instrumental in me sort of navigating. (laughs) how to, you know, I would get invited to do juried exhibitions, or I would have to ship paintings to little shows here and there. And she would sort of help me navigate all of that. Um, And if I expressed an interest, oh, I heard about this museum, you know, I'd heard about the Dia Beacon. She was like, all right, let's go. And I think even now to this day, 
you know, when she comes to Chicago, I'll drag her. We just saw the Nick Cave show at the MCA or I'm visiting them in New Jersey. I'll be like, okay, we got to go see the Alice Niels show. And she, even though she's not sort of in the art world at all or in that space, she's always really just excited to learn more about it. So she's been a great person to, that has sort of continued this uh, interest with me on this journey. And, you know, they've, my parents have been really great about never sort of discouraging me from being an artist or, you know, going to grad school for painting. I think they always just thought I'd figure it out. How did your art professors impact you? I had great teachers along the way. I think at RISD, it was more skill building. I was an illustration major there. So I learned how to paint at RISD and I never oil painted before. And I sort of fell in love with it there and haven't really looked back. And, you know, I had one one teacher in particular there who would always tell me that I need to get out of an illustration program and just paint. And I never knew what that meant. That was so... uh that was such an overwhelming and confusing thought to me because that was all I knew with the illustration is just problem solving, not just, but that's, that's a huge component of it. You know, and he told me it's okay to not know an idea or any meaning behind the work, just make work and worry about that later. And I don't think that really resonated with me until, you know, years later. And then at SAIC, I had the really great experience of pushback you know, and um, being really challenged and questioned about why I was making the work I was making. And it forced me to question things I wasn't really thinking about before in ways of handling paint I wasn't really considering before. And I had great teachers uh, and grad advisors who, you know, never really told me to stop doing what I was doing, but were sort of supportive of me working figuratively even and it was a time that uh, figurative painting was really not um very popular and just wanted me to think more about why and how I was doing it early on do you recall if there was an artist or painting that really impacted you so in my parents dining room they have a print hung of aristotle with the bust of homer on one side. And then on the other side of the dining room, there's a print of Renoir's boat party. And I sort of feel like that embodies my my two parents' personalities. And so I I grew up looking at those all the time. And I think um, just being around them, I think made me really excited about painting. And then when I got to college, I took a class on Manet and I, I didn't really know anything about artists before I went to RISD. Uh, and that a, a class that I took on Manet really sort of got me thinking about painting and figuration and modernism and uh, all of these things that, you know, figurative painting could achieve that just transcends uh, figuration as a subject. So um, I, I would say at a child level and then as a college student, those two things were pretty important to me. How would you define your practice? All encompassing, (laughs) everywhere, all the time. I'm never not thinking about painting, whether it's thinking about something that's in progress currently that I'm thinking about solving problems on, or, you know, I'll see a color or an object and that'll maybe spark an interest for a future painting. Yeah, it's, it's all the time in and out of the studio. You know, sometimes it would be nice to just 
get through like an episode of something <laughs> of anything without having to stop with a, you know, because I have a flurry of painting thoughts that come in. So let's talk about your process. What materials do you use? Uh, what's the process of choosing color? Share that with us. All my paintings are oil on canvas and color is a huge part of my work. It's one of the first decisions I make when making a painting. The way I think about color it could either be a uh, a narrative association. You know, I made a, a, an example that would be a painting that I made for the show I did with Mary Ambosky called Living Room. And those were colors specifically sourced from my mother's living room growing up. You know, it was sort of a seafoam green, peach pink, very early 90s palette. Or it could be, I usually work four paintings at a time. So sometimes if I'm working paintings and it's like, wow, it feels really cool in here, I better get a cadmium yellow painting going. So sometimes it'll just be in, I'll, I'll select a color in response to what else is going on in my studio. And then I'll sort of, you know, that'll be a challenge of making it work then with whatever image happens on the painting. And then sometimes color will start as a problem uh, for a painting. The the current show that I have uh, coming up later this month with Josh Lilly is a lot about, you know, a sort of forced relationship to the idea of home. And my husband and I moved into a new home about, I don't know, six, eight months ago and inherited all of these sort of bad color and fixture choices that we had to live with for the first, you know, stretch of being here. And it's a weird feeling sort of living in a space with things you wouldn't have chosen for yourself. And so I wanted to sort of mimic that feeling in the studio with these paintings. And so I, a lot of the paintings started with a ground color that I really didn't like, or that I really kind of wanted, you know, something I wouldn't normally choose. And that was a way for me to sort of push back. And then in terms of process, when I start a painting, I'll usually start by mixing color. That's one of the first thing I'll do. I'll spend a couple hours just mixing color. And then I will, sometimes I'll have an idea in my head, a narrative idea, and I'll just start painting. I don't really make preliminary drawings. So a lot of the paintings start just as a series of abstract shapes, me figuring out sort of how to organize the picture plane. I've always been self-conscious about composition. And so I kind of think about composition and shape relationship before I think about how the figure inserts itself within the composition. So in a lot of ways, that abstraction is how I begin work. And then it sort of progressively becomes more figurative in nature as it goes on. And have you ever leaned more heavily towards figurative versus abstraction? In terms of how I start a painting? Well, your practice in general, like early on. Oh, earlier on, sure. Yeah. And that's a huge way that my practice has shifted. I think not just that the, the work was more figurative. I mean, in college, I mostly took observational figure painting, drawing and portrait classes, which is really what I pull from more now than anything, because everything that I, everything is intuitive now. How I used to work like in, you know, late undergrad through grad school was everything was really sourced and pretty stiff and very idea-based. And I would sort of just execute and plow through. And now it's much more of a back and forth dialogue since it's so intuitive. Um, and I'm doing a lot more listening as a painter uh, than, I, than I used to. And I'd say that there's sort of a shift back and forth between days where it's just active painting and decision-making and days were just monotonous repetition, you know, like eight hours of painting plaid. So when do you know when a work is finished and when do you decide on the title? Both are great questions. So uh, for me, when a work is finished usually means maybe I've 
I've put one more thing in that doesn't need to be there, or I've said the same thing twice. I try to avoid doing in painting. You know, with being a narrative painter, you only want to know so much about what's going on in your work. You don't want to sort. You don't want to have all the answers to your work. And I find that the more I work a painting, the more I learn about what's going on, or the more you run the risk of learning what's going on. And so I think it's about pulling back right right before you get to that point and titling. I usually have, you know, pet names or, you know, working titles for paintings while I'm working on them. But then actual titling comes when once the painting is done, because at any point the painting can take a turn. You know, the painting can be 90% of the way done and it can totally change direction. So when the painting is done, I my titles are usually really simple. Uh, the paint, the compositions are pretty complex. So I like to keep the titling simple. Do you listen to music while you're working? Yeah, I do. I do. It's very in and out because if I'm really focused in a painting, I could listen to music all day and not be able to tell you what I listen to. I think it's the days that I'm doing the, you know, the monotonous plaid painting that I am able to actually listen more. And I listen to everything. I think, you know, for the amount of hours I'm in the studio, I think my genres are I'm pretty open in terms of genres and music, and I think I would have to be or else I'd get pretty bored in there. And what does your workspace look and feel like? It's a mess, of course, but it's pretty organized. I'm a pretty organized person. You know, I don't care what a disaster of a day I've had in there. I never leave. You know, it's like you never go to bed angry. It's like you never leave studio without cleaning your brushes and palette. That way, at least if I've had a, a rough day in there, when I come back the next day, I'm. it's like I've hit the reset button. So it's it's a mess, but it's it's a mess I know how to navigate. So if you weren't a visual artist, what other career path do you think you would have chosen? I think it would definitely be visual artist adjacent. I think I always wanted to be a costume designer when I was young. That sort of attention to detail and research are so appealing to me. When I was a kid, Colleen Atwood or junior high, you know, she was like an, I idolized her. So I think that might be something that I would have went down. I think it still would have been in the visual arts field. How do you keep learning? It's a great question. By continuing to look at art in person as much as possible. You know, Instagram is great for learning new names, you know, and that could spike an interest. Oh, who's this? I'm not familiar with their work or, you know, by reading an article or for that reason, it's great. But actually seeing work in person is a very different kind of learning experience. It's a way to really learn about artists who whose work resonates with me, but it's also a way of learning and thinking about you know, surface and form and color, all those things that don't come through in digital media. When you're creating, do you think about who your audience is? No. Does it matter if they do or don't understand your work? No, I, I don't. I don't think it, that doesn't matter to me. I, I mean, I make autobiographical paintings about unmet expectations and doubt and shame and, you know, maybe hoping that some of that might resonate with whoever's looking at the work. But I, I think for me, it's really more about having people stand in front of the paintings and just have the experience of looking at the work. What would you say are the most substantial challenges that you've encountered as an artist? Well, on a, on a micro level, I mean, painting is just really hard. <laughs> uh, on a more macro level, I think uh, for me, most recently, it's just been life balance. I mean, it's just making painting work with everything else in life can be really challenging. I mean, you know, when painting is going really well, it's all encompassing because my head is there with the paintings. And 
when the paintings aren't going well, it's all consuming because I'm just constantly trying to figure out, you know, sort of where to go. And so that, that can be really challenging. I have an extremely understanding and supportive husband that sort of gets it and knows what it's like at this point to be married to me. But, you know, it could be really challenging. I wish there were times I could just turn, have an off switch that I could hit. What are you excited about right now? I mentioned, I think the show coming up later this month, opening March 23rd with Josh Lilly uh, in London. It's called House Sounds. I'm super excited to share that work. But, you know, this thing happens where when you're finishing up work for one thing, you sort of start mentally cheating on that work with new ideas. So whatever is actually going... So I've, I've started some new paintings since that work has been shipped off. And I think whatever's actually in progress in the studio at the moment is always the most exciting. What do you enjoy most about your practice? That it really gives me everything. It's unbelievably fulfilling. It gives me you know, frustration, of course, but it also is extremely gratifying. It makes me laugh. I get everything I can from it, (laughs) you know, beyond actual human interaction, which is why it's also important for me to, you know, make sure I spend a significant amount of time with other people, my husband, my friends and family outside the studio. Are there concepts or thoughts that connect your work? Sure. You know, I think a lot of my paintings are of mostly female figures who are sort of uh, struggling with trying too hard and staving off boredom and self-doubt and irrelevance. And I think, and I think in a way that those are all things that I think about with painting, things that I'm I, and I think in that way it makes the paintings as much about painting uh, as they are about you know, the narratives that are sort of being depicted. There's a real sort of vulnerability and exposure when you show paintings, when you make paintings and show them to people. And I think that some of that is mirrored in the way that I construct compositions. I've enjoyed this conversation very much as our last question. And that is, what do you feel is the purpose of art? And as an artist, what is your role? You know, I think in a lot of ways, what art does is it it hopefully allows people to just have the experience of looking at something without trying to make sense of it or solve it. I think at least I'm always trying to, you know, make sense of what's going on around me or solve problems. And I think, you know, having something that we just sort of experience looking is so important Um, and seeing how other people sort of identify with and express ideas about beauty and struggle and color and form you know, I think it's important to be challenged and stimulated, whether you like something or not. And then, you know, maybe think about what it was about that thing that you liked or didn't like. You know, whenever I talk to someone, a friend or a family member who's who's not in the, who's not art affiliated, and they're like, I, I don't know if I, I don't like that work. It's always like, okay, well, why? What is it about that work uh, that you don't like? And so I think it's, I think it's really important uh, to get for anyone to look at things differently than they normally would. And I think art can help contribute to that. And I think uh, my role, I mean, I think just continuing to hunker down in the studio, keep challenging and surprising myself and to keep painting, but also to be aware of what's going on in the world around me. I think that's really important for artists. Well, thank you very much. I've enjoyed our talk. Thank you so much, Phyllis, for inviting me. This was really great. 
Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.